Welcome to the AI Sales Revolution podcast, where we dive into how artificial intelligence is revolutionizing the sales landscape. I'm your host, Matthew Lakeev, and each week we'll be joined by experts and thought leaders in the field of AI and sales. Together, we'll explore the ways that AI is transforming the sales industry and how teams that leverage AI will be much further ahead of the competition. Our goal is to educate and empower you to start using these tools right away so that at each episode you can go away and put these tools into action in your day-to-day. Join me each week as we discover the latest trends, strategies, and technologies that are driving the future of sales. Hey guys, so in this episode we chat to Dan Berge, who's the founder and CEO of Wrench.ai. Now after the conversation, I was blown away because I had no idea on the capabilities of AI and especially big data analysis. Dan just blew me away, especially he spent so many years in consumer marketing and understanding different buyer behaviors. I really love how over the past five years at Wrench.ai, he's been able to apply this stuff, which is, it gives insane insight into people's markets, especially organizations that already have a large CRM database. They can ingest all this data in. And it really took so much away from the conversation. We're actually running experiments with Dan and Wrench.ai at the moment. So I'll definitely report back on that at a later date. Just because some of the stuff that they can actually pull out of the data is insane. I haven't even heard about it before. So I really hope you enjoy this episode because I know I sure did. Thanks yeah. so much for coming on, Dan. Like, sure. Good pumped to have you. Um, look, you've been in the AI space, I checked on your LinkedIn, for nearly six years. So yeah. you knew this was coming way sooner. And you mentioned before, like January was like the biggest month you guys had. So obviously the AI hype is real in 2023. So if you give us a picture of, you know, how you got to where you are today and, you know, how Wrench started, that'd be awesome. Sure. I mean, like, uh, you know, going back, a lot of the team was very much focused in kind of like new product development. Like by trade, I've been kind of the equivalent of an entrepreneur in residence or kind of like, you know, I call it innovation strategy. Uh, but I did uh, and started my first company was called Love Sack, the big beanbag yeah. chairs, right? That was kind of like a bootstrapped, like rags to riches type of fun stuff. Yeah. And then after that, went and did a master's in, in uh, business administration with like an emphasis in global branding and uh, entrepreneurship, reality being I wanted to do product development and product research. And uh, that was the closest thing that you could actually do for it. So I went and spent a bunch of time working in CPG companies, an example, ConAgra, these guys like going like Orville Redenbacher and stuff like that. And uh, our job would literally be to like develop the concept around the product and develop like the prototypes for the product, the business model for the product, and then go sit behind a lot of one-way glass and watch people interact with our prototypes and give us feedback and stuff like that. So you were watching how people made decisions. Super fascinating stuff. Yeah, wow. And uh, the use case of that is really that oftentimes, especially in those cases like grocery store, you've ever heard like the saying, 97% of all products fail? That's from grocery store consumer product space. It's like that's the only space where you can really measure that. And it's the reason is because it's so expensive to even get the space on the shelf that people will spend like literally millions of dollars just to get the space. Like it's 900 grand at the time. This is like 2010. 900 grand literally just to buy the slot in the grocery store before you could turn on a machine to even put product in a canister or anything. Yeah. And so a lot of my team had the same kind of, you know, similar experience to me where we would be sitting in really expensive boardrooms with people that had C's in their CXO, C whatever O Mm. in their name. And um, they were doing a lot of stuff just like, you know, this is a real thing that happened. But mm-hmm. one time, they went, you know, what we really want is, you know, will you guys go figure out why people don't eat healthy food? And you'd go spend a year on that. And it was just, they pulled it out of their gut just going, hey, I think, you know, can we figure out how to make people want to eat healthy food? 
And uh, we would go spend a year and millions of dollars just figuring out that question. Again, sitting in people's kitchens and stuff like that. And you've started to understand a lot of like what motivated people to innovate and what motivated people to buy and what motivated their decisions on price and things like that. And uh, that led into a lot of the kind of crack the crowd was the name of the agency, the digital strategy firm that we built where we went, okay, cool, let's start to digitize this. Because the reality is, in big data and AI, the uh, like it, it had already been happening for years, but I'm still amazed at how often I see it when people go like, hey, define your ideal customer. And <laughs> it's really still very common where people are like, white male, 24 to 40, like, no, 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 guys, guys, guys. In the day and age of the inter- internet, especially post-pandemic internet, yeah. your customer is almost exclusively defined by their behaviors because yeah. the cost of switching from one product to another or finding a niche product that like perfectly matches your needs is literally almost zero. There is no cost to it. Like it's another Amazon search. It's another Google search away. How so, would you define, curious to know how would you define behaviors in particular? Behaviors, um, so as it relates to AI, we yeah. think of it as digital exhaust. What is the paper trail, for lack of pa- paper, yep. what is the digital exhaust trail that actually indicates interests and interactions with your product, your category, your whatever? So that can be consumption habits. That can be the, like, you can go through and you can say, okay, what are they buying? What is the need? What is the DIY need? Like, meaning a lot of products are just services that you consume yourself. So a yeah. lot of people don't realize that they should be comparing their product to, like, in your case, right? So if you're if you're doing a lot of the dialing type of like outreach with your company, oftentimes the thing that you compare it to is them doing it themselves, right? Like yours is a little bit easier, but a ton of companies never do that math. It's those behaviors, it's where and when and what events trigger or are associated with that purchase. So if you think about it of even just simplifying, it's who, it's where, it's what, it's why, it's when, and it's all the associations that go for it, especially those that are available to you online. So. Are, do they have a social media account? What do they mention on those? Social, what are their likes? Uh, what are their posts? What are their bios? What is their education if you're doing LinkedIn? A lot of those things fall into those behaviors. And what we do at Wrench is we try to take what we call that unstructured data, which can take that even further. We've got clients that are using just like unstructured audio and, and other things. And our job is to take that digital exhaust and turn it into something that is manageable, something that is structured, like something you could actually put into the equivalent of a spreadsheet and analyze saying, Hey, are these high interest people? Are their behaviors highly indicative of interaction with our category or not? So it's, it's those in our case, but we're absolutely looking for those indicators that infer these people are very much familiar and interested with our category and product. Yeah, wow. So you guys did, you, you did a lot of this, you know, in the sense we did a lot of studying and then how did kind of go in, how did this go straight into wrench though? How, how did you make that evolution? So like, I mean, if you went back to it back in the day, like, you know, oftentimes when you go to your customers, if they're, if they're saying like, Hey, I've got my ideal customer profile, you just go, okay, define them for, and they'll give you like, Hey, it's this job title. And yeah, that helps because it means that they've actually built a profession around that job title. Right. You're going, yep. Give me your job title. So if we're doing that for our customers, oftentimes we're saying, okay, describe your ideal or existing customers. And you just keep asking who, what, more, why, more, why, and they get into more and more detail into them. When we would go through and, and we were doing those crowdfunding raises, I mentioned like a lot of times it was the single point of failure was, can we find people that, uh, or can we segment our audience so we would do it? And in those cases, it's very much a go-to-market strategy. You're basically dealing with a brand new product that doesn't yet have a ton of revenue. And they're trying to refine that customer profile as they go. So we would ask them just very simply to try to even make it easy, just like, Take your address book and download it into like a Google spreadsheet and mark a one, two, or three. Basically, just tell me 
One, who's really, really close to the product, who works with you, who's bought product before. Give me a two if they're affiliated, but actually significant and should be worth noticing. We think of them most of the time as influencers now, yeah. but people that are influential to the business. And then three, just give me our associates and we'll just do that. We'll go really people who dig it, people who are just worth paying attention to. And then three, mm-hmm. just everybody else. That was the simplest form. We couldn't get a ton of our clients to even do that level of segmentation and we would tell them hey look like your your entire launch like is contingent on this being done and they still wouldn't do it so we had to go build a tool that would automatically start to do that and then get much 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 more complex at doing yeah wow that's crazy now that's an awesome story well it works so a lot of time what wrench would do and does now um is People will take their address book from their CRM, Salesforce, whatever. We'll upload it. We automatically do enrichment. We take like 16 different social networks. We take sensor or other data. We take a lot of other little tiny fun cues. Like to get into a kind of an extreme case, you can actually infer and predict someone's, um, someone's channel outreach strategy based on their first name. You can go into census records and you can go, okay, what's their first name? Oh, it's Dan. All right, what was the popularity of Dan from the last... 15 decades, what is the likely age of Dan based on the name Dan? And then what technologies were kind of maturing as Dan was 18 to 26 year old because he probably stuck with them. So you can actually take someone's first name and actually do an educated guess on what their channel outreach recommendation is just by their first name. Um, So Wrench will do a bunch of, that's one of the more extreme versions because there's a bunch of better ways to do it. But we can take stuff, you know, as an example, like if someone is posting and they use three exclamation points, that's a move that's only done by extroverts. So we can go, okay, this is a person that's very social driven by a bunch of kind of extra extrovert behaviors. Yeah. Um, and then we can start making recommendations based on the fact that they're an extrovert. And Wrench yeah. is doing a bunch of little nuanced segmentations like that to basically say, here's your population that's highly impressed, highly interested, early adopters of your technology, and then people that are influencers, people that are late adopters, et cetera, and making campaign recommendations based yeah, off cool. of all That's awesome. Oh, look, that, that's an awesome story. I think... I think one thing I've always wanted to ask, so I don't understand big data that well, and I think mm-hmm. most of the audience probably wouldn't. Big data is a complicated thing. Could you be able to give us a, a, share a story of where, how you've actually used Wrench and big data for an outcome for, for, for a customer, just so like so people can actually visualize like what are the possibilities? Because I think we talk about yeah. a lot of things with big data, but then specifically this outcome happened from th- these inputs. Yeah, so um, let's see. It is... It's very, sure it's complex. I think a lot of the basic understanding is a much less complex than everyone wants to make it. Mm. Um, because a lot of the, the principles that drive AI and especially like stuff like machine learning, like when you guys hear the words machine learning, in your head just think statistical analysis on steroids. I mean, what they're essentially doing, machine learning is probably your best example, but they are going through and they're taking all the traits. So they're putting all of your customers on a spreadsheet. That spreadsheet has first name in one column, last name in another column, mm-hmm. um, and they're getting, you know, they get really granular. The spreadsheet could theoretically have 10,000 columns, including yeah, like, right. hey, how many digits or how long is their first name? They put that into a statistical uh, model to basically figure out, hey, what are the most common traits of our customer? Right. Machine learning is kind of doing a version of that. It's the computational power that allows it to work. So mm-hmm. we already do it at the simple level, right? With, with statistics, we've been doing it for years. The machine learning version is just, all right, now we can afford because of the, the cheaper um, the cheaper costs of like cloud computing, we can afford to now, instead of processing like 50 columns like we were 15, 20 years ago, like FICO scores in the United States are 
the 50-ish columns that your credit bureau uses to determine your okay. credit worthiness. So now you can, instead of doing 50, which are most of our credit systems based on here, hmm. uh, we can do it on 5,000 or even 50,000 different wow. columns. And at that level, it just means you get way, way, way more accuracy. Simultaneously, it's, it's usually a little bit more than a human brain can handle, too much, too much stuff to kind of keep straight at one time. But it isn't much more complex than that. Um, yeah, and a lot of how those models work, that is how they, they would kind of work. So as an example, we will take a client and a, we'll basically take their customer population and we'll take yep. even their prospect population too. Yep. We'll get two groups of customers, two clusters that say have five or 10,000 people in each. You can do less, but let's do five to them. We basically say, cool, let's go and basically um, analyze those. Let's generate as many columns as we can to kind of basically define what a customer looks like and what a customer does not look like. And then that AI or that machine learning is basically going through and it's comparing and doing all the analyzation and saying, non-customers look like this, customers look like this. And then when you feed in a, uh, a new prospect, it can give you a score and say, hey, based on everything wow. I've got here, it's writing the equivalent of just a really long Excel formula to say, if this customer, then, yeah. you know, whatever, or if this, yeah. then that. Ifs, yes, yeah. it's, it's a 10,000 line if yeah. then statement. It yeah. is, that, that's it. I've done, some, I've done some deep ones in my accounting days, about 50 deep, and I remember that was mind blowing. There so you like go, right? The, the, <laughs> so, I mean, so the good news is, is when we use that analysis, they actually they have a process at the very end uh, that they call feature weighting. Feature weight is basically where you, the, the machine learning model spits out a list of the columns that were the most predictive for you. Like this one had the most value. So of course, a bunch of them are gonna have almost no value whatsoever. Like the number of syllables in a first name probably doesn't have an impact. Yeah. But when Wrench does it, we're doing everything to say like, okay, we wanna include profession, we wanna include personality, we wanna include all this stuff. We get a list and we can go, holy crap, these are the things that work. And what we often find and routinely have found is that uh, there's a book back in the day, if your readers or your, your listeners haven't checked it out, do, because like Malcolm Gladwell says it's one of the best books in business, Crossing the Chasm. Crossing the so chasm. Crossing the Chasm is a big deal because it basically takes the premise that every total addressable market, everyone that you can sell any product to has a population, kind of looks like a bell curve. And on the, the front end, they have these innovators, basically the inventors. These yep. people have no price sensitivity. They're willing to basically yeah. do whatever it can, whatever they can to scratch that itch. Next to them, they have those influencers whose job is to basically, in the space, they watch it, they, they maintain an audience, whether they're journalists or celebrities or whatever. And their job is to basically just tell early adopters about it. And that's how they get paid largely. Early adopters are the low price sensitive, the early people to adopt your product, right? They're the ones that'll put up with the most bugs. They'll try beta yeah. product. And uh, after that, you start getting into like late adopters and even laggards, yeah. right? Yeah. And their premise is every market has to go through those five segments. Yeah. And uh, Wrench, when we do our analysis, we found out and basically proven over and over and over that we can actually measure those segments wow. and actually organize your data for you. So without you having to do all the research, we can tag mm -hmm. each of those groups and then cross-reference it with other features that we have found are just hugely predictive. So one example of putting all that together is we had one client that was even just basically selling like, you know, gourmet kind of cookies. And uh, they basically went through, pumped in a bunch of their data, we analyzed it and we gave them the analysis of, okay, we took your audience, we've analyzed them, we see a bunch of all these different personalities, but just so you know, you actually have a really significant late adopter population. Somehow yeah. you have a ton of customers that aren't very interested in cookies. What are you doing? Yeah. And uh, <laughs> found out they've been Grouponing. 
They've been doing that couponing craze to basically get people introduced to the product. But the problem was that they actually introduced it to a bunch of people that only wanted their product at discount. We told them to switch. Yeah, yeah, right? We went, you need to discard that lookalike audience. You need to discard that approach. Go talk to mm -hmm. this subset. They And they were really hard to distinguish. They had the same spent. Their cart sizes and everything were the exact same amounts. When we went, okay, we found from other indicators, this is the early adopter crowd. It's smaller, but it's actually the ones that you guys want to talk to. And when they switched, they basically doubled their revenue and their sales in 90 days. They Like, wow. it was... It can be a significant, significant impact to kind of who you talk to and what you say. So at Ranch, we go through, we go focus on the behavioral signals and focus on the people that have high affinities and things like that for your category. And our shtick or our technology is we figured out and patented a way to basically do that. We can identify your population. We can use all the natural language processes. It's an AI kind of yeah. methodology to analyze the language used around your product and then mm -hmm. identify your audience and which of the people within that audience are the most interested, the most, mm -hmm. uh, the most willing to pay at a higher price and margin, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And that's mm -hmm. what we do. Sorry, I'm hey, wrong. Wow. But. That's crazy. I'm really curious to know, with, with more and more AI coming out and the kind of ability to mesh AI together, mm -hmm. will you guys be able to ingest data? Like, let's say a company has recorded their calls for a whole year with their clients and they can link them to the people that bought and the people that didn't based on those language. Do you think in the future you guys or AI in general will be able to ingest that data? Because I imagine there's call centers out there that have like years of recordings. Oh, yeah, yeah, they yeah. can just ingest yeah. all that data and then they can actually make determinations and inferences or whatever you want to call it based on that data to, okay, who are these exact people? Like, who are the ones which make the so they, they can. They're really careful on it. Like, as an example, ChatGPT3 does, uh, you know, that's the one that, like, everybody has in the news and everything that's ever, you mm. know, I'm sure your listeners have seen. But the um, they often don't because of privacy issues. They're really careful with it. Okay. And I, and I yeah. kind of applaud them for it. It's the right move. Yeah. Because, like, as I see a big problem with that stuff, like every day I go on LinkedIn, there's there's a bunch of salespeople that are going, okay, here's how it sped up my process. But simultaneously, they don't realize this. So imagine we plug you. We do exactly what you just described. Say, so we're going to go and we're going to say, okay, we're going to, you know, what what do you love? Name your favorite thing to dabble in. Ice cream. I don't know. Anything. Yeah, ice cream. I love ice cream. Ice cream. Yeah. So we're working for an ice cream company. And we go, okay, cool. We got to go see, uh, is Matt a customer or not, right? Yeah. So... It's a slightly different process, so any data scientist listening, pardon my, you know, we're sticking with principles here. But if we plug Matt into their model where we've analyzed all of their customers that bought a specific ice cream and those that walked in but never bought anything, if yeah. Matt walks in, it will give you an answer. And if another guy walks in that is Matt's identical twin with everything else and walks in, plugs it in, he will get the exact same answer. He won't get a different answer. Chat GPT-3 and a lot of the things that people have to be careful with is that if you ask it something pretty generic, write me a blog on AI. It's going to give you the same answer that it gave other people. doesn't sound like a big deal until you realize when people are doing this stuff at scale and they're going on and just going, write me a personal email outreach for... Uh, even a you know job title, but like yeah. Dan who works on AI, Dan who is the CEO of an AI company. Yeah. It may seem personalized to the salesperson, but the recipient 
I will notice when I get 50 mm. emails, like as an example, a couple weeks ago, they're all mentioning the mascot of my school. I'm just going, I don't give <laughs> shit about the mascot of my school. Um, but they're all mentioning, going, why am I getting five in one week? It's because they were all plugging in like to LinkedIn yeah. data going, Dan went to the University of Utah. And uh, they're all plugging in and basically saying the same thing. So that you have to be careful when you use those tools that you actually give it novel inputs yeah. so that it gives you a novel answer. So the more similar your request or your prompt is, the more similar its output is gonna be. And if you are asking it to write you eBooks, and if you are asking it to write blogs or press releases or whatever, People don't realize like Google is going to know that it was generated by AI and they're going to ding you. They will mark your emails as spam as soon as they can. Believe yeah, me, yeah. they've got a competitive product to deal with. Yeah. So it's one of those things that I would be really careful with. Put in those kind of unique attributes to make sure that you can actually take advantage of it on a long-term basis because mm. I know that they don't know exactly how to detect which AI content was generated by AI. But at scale, it's not going to be that hard for them to go about a 95% chance this generic yeah. AI blog was written by AI. So Yeah, that, that, that does make a lot of sense. How would you then, if people are using, let's see if we go on this topic, ChatGPT, and they are trying to create content for themselves and ideas, do you think it's, all, it's in the prompting? It's you know, in the unique way of prompting it to get a unique answer? It is. I would also say, like, yes, so definitely. I mean, one of the main things that we kind of use and test it for um, the personal data is not there. So if you say, hey, yeah. write Matt a prompt, it will not know who you are. And they actually are writing rules to prevent that. So yes. it won't be able to do that. And at least for the foreseeable future, I don't know that it will. Just because, I mean, again, they would have to ingest and store a ton of data on Matt for that to work. And that's a privacy issue that they don't want. Exactly, on the actual person. So, so they can get, gener and they can store generalities on it, right? But like they, So they could say someone with your company name or something but they'll try to avoid being that specific. We simultaneously kind of go, okay, so we can take that data from largely opt-in databases and then we yeah. can help feed enough of a prompt that's personalized to genuinely feed the, and generate a prompt, uh, uh, like a literal prompt for ChatGPT3 that actually is pretty personalized and novel and therefore both relevant to you, but actually helps people kind of speed up their, their sales or their marketing outreach as well. Yeah, exactly. So when you get your 50 emails, you know all these people using these sales are using ChatGPT from your Yeah, mascot. exactly. <laughs> you know exactly what's happening. Exactly. Um, so I'm, I'm, um, curious to, I'm curious to know as well, where do you think, so it's from our discussions as well, this, this big data play, it seems like the larger companies that have a whole ton of data, this can really help them. Like, and I think we've chatted, you know, the more and more data, obviously there's an inflection point, but you know, it probably helps more companies, but the larger companies, what do you think is holding them back from actually using it? Like, for me, it seems like a no-brainer. Uh, it's messy. There's a ton of kind of hype cycle stuff that goes into it. If you've messed with it, like so the chat GPT interface is really cool, the newer kind of edition that was released in December. Yeah. Um, but if you go use the API, you'll notice it's on a different model that's a little bit more dated and it doesn't have nearly the functionality, right? So a lot of that there. And then like the dirty little secret that like, again, one of the reasons that Wrench has, has actually kind of um, uh, built even some of the products we've built is that everybody's back end, everybody's databases are almost all held together with duct tape. Everybody's, yeah. everybody's house is to some extent just a mess. <laughs> and like oftentimes when people build AI projects, yeah. they'll spend something like 65% of the budget just on cleaning up the data before yeah. we even hand it to a data scientist. It's always a problem. Yeah. So I do know for a fact that that, uh, that is a big, big, big headache. Like I have people all the time, they'll come to us, they'll say, hey, let's do this. And then I've literally had clients that took like four or five months just to hand us or get us wow. credentials for their data because they were still mm -hmm. like cleaning things up in the back end. 
we built kind of an enrichment system within our, our, our product so that people could just upload an address book and we could go do the work yeah. for them, which absolutely mm -hmm. speeds things up literally by months in some cases. Um, mm -hmm. So that's oftentimes a lot of it. There's definitely an adoption headache too. There's still people, I mean, again, like we did AI in 2017, 2018. I thought that mm -hmm. we would have gotten like the same approach that everybody's gotten from chat GPT-3 in the last like five, yeah. you know, five weeks. Um, yeah. And the reality was it wasn't there, man. Uh, people mm -hmm. actually like actively in many cases didn't like AI. Like our tool is, is very much designed. So we plugged in, Hey, plug in automation and plug in make more money and plug in AI. So like plug in positioning statements and measure which ones of these are most likely to resonate with our customer population. AI was the lowest every <laughs> single time. So wow. until about five weeks ago, people honestly just didn't want to hear it. They'd hear woo woo, smoke and mirrors. They yeah. think we were full of crap. And uh, uh, it was actually kind of a hard slog, quite frankly, way longer and harder than we thought. It, it feels like my time at when I was at Zoom pre-COVID and we'd have meetings with people and they're like, our law firm doesn't need video meetings. Like, where are we just do it traditionally in person. <laughs> they do that. I had all the family, all the long lost relatives call me, can you get Zoom for my business? <laughs> 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 it feels like a very similar thing when it was like, and the whole time at Zoom, you'd be similar to yourself. I was, when I was using Zoom, I never actually met a customer in person, like ever. Oh man. <laughs> like, well, more than like, hundred deals. Post pandemic, like the pandemic changed. It took 10 years of technology yeah. adoption and compressed it into yeah. well, like not even the two, but yeah. like even the behaviors before and after. Like you have all those people where I don't know about you, but like, dude, I don't like to leave my house. I am absolutely. Yeah. You better believe if it's available online, I am buying it online. <laughs> exactly. I think I went to the I went to the shops the other day and I was like, never again. Yeah, no, no, no. You better like you better. I can show you. I I have the same shirt. I have five and sometimes twenty of the exact same shirt. I've got three or four pairs of pants that are all the exact same pair, but I don't want to think about it. So I absolutely will take advantage of those kind of shopping <laughs> behaviors. And a lot of people, they weren't forced into that behavior until yeah. COVID hit. And then once they went, they, actually, this is pretty good. And if you go look yeah. at the data, it's it's more significant than it's ever been that people are asking for personalized experiences yeah. online. And AI actually allows you to do that in a, a scalable way now. Yeah, so. I speak to at length about this with my brother. He works at the trade desk. And they're, they're going heavy into the digital TV space, but personalizing your ads. Because you think for such a long time, all your regular TV ads were just not personalized. But imagine if you got personalized TV ads, like you do on YouTube and stuff. Just take it to the next oh, level. And so, like, I swear all the, all the grandmas that were watching, like, you know, those shows about, you know, buy this mop thing and then they, and buy five more mops for 30% more. I was just getting served that all day. It'll just, the consumption will go up like crazy. That'll be awesome. We did, I'm, uh, we tried to do that. Like, we can do it. Like, we, we wanted to, one of the original versions, we wanted, like, mm. smart cities. If you're familiar with the concept, like, we have just Wi Fi, WiMAX everywhere, right? Everybody has. 20 gigs down internet into their phone everywhere in the city, right? Wow. They're like cities where they're building this stuff right now and yeah. have been for a while. But we were trying to basically see if we could take the the uh, accelerometers in your phone and then position your phone in your pocket. So if it's upside down with the screen facing mm -hmm. inward, we know it's in your pocket. And then if they're going mm -hmm. through, like, say they're in a grocery store, um, recognize where they are in the store based off the triangulation of oh, the wow. Wi-Fi points. And then figure out which product they're looking at and then change the advertisement <laughs> on the screen at the end of the aisle yeah, to actually let them know That's about a coupon when they look at it. 
Um, or they get a text message with a coupon when they're looking at the product saying, if you buy it in five minutes, you get the second one for free. There's a, yeah. I mean, there is a huge <laughs> correlation between that relevance. I mean, if there's anything that I can tell, like as far as your, your listeners go when they're trying to build those, the, the real kind of tricks, you're looking for something that is highly relevant, mm-hmm. highly, 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 highly relevant. Obviously, like the time of day or the event associated with that purchase event is cool. So you absolutely want to associate which prospects are highly interested in your product, but simultaneously, and this is where AI falls down, is novel. How do you get something? Because like usually when people say we're emotionally charged, what they're usually referring to is just emotional, we're all emotional animals. We we make emotional decisions and then we justify it with logic after the fact. The triggers for word of mouth marketing as an example is the reality is you can basically hit all the expectations of your client customer. Like, hey, if I'm going to go, again, buy ice cream, it needs to be cold and it needs to be vanilla, yeah. blah, 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 blah. But if you throw in a surprise, a, surpri- a relevant surprise, but a surprise, like saying, okay, so what we're going to do is, you know, uh, well, I don't know, I'm thinking of anything, but like we're going to put your favorite car. Oh, here you go. Like just like, uh, you know, those coffee latte things where they pour the, the yeah. they draw a shape in the foam. I did that for eight years. I was a competitive barista. There you go, time. right? <laughs> yeah. How much does that actually help the experience, right? It's like yeah. it's irrelevant. Yeah. It's a surprise. And when you introduce those features, this is what AI sucks at because mm-hmm. it's largely able to take these large training data sets. It's able to take all of the columns that became really kind of, hey, these are all the predictive columns that, that drove mm-hmm. the decision and all of the behaviors and everything. But the stuff that's relevant to you very specifically is, is it relevant? Is it a surprise? Because the surprising stuff that is relevant becomes emotional and is the reason that you go, hey, I would give you even, you hit 99% of what describes good ice cream. Yeah. But I will double the likelihood that I will buy your product if you can surprise me and make it good. The utility Mm -hmm. from a surprise element is crazy, crazy useful. And it's really hard to do, but AI... So the re- wrench AI, our name, mm-hmm. was the premise of like salespeople are not going away. You still mm-hmm. need someone to like develop yes. a relationship. Wrench AI was like, hey, it's the tool of superpowers. Yeah. And the yeah. premise there was we want people to be able to basically take advantage and get past like average. But mm-hmm. there still is going to be that role of how do you make something novel? And I have not seen AI do a good job of that yet. I think it's got a long ways before it gets mm-hmm. there. Here's what would you say is a novelty thing? So if you give us an example, an example of something novel that you've seen. So like, I mean, one of your main examples is anytime you watch one of these like viral, do you remember like all the old spice deodorant ads? Like those were, I don't remember. Oh man. They're just a ton of stuff, man. A ton of the ones that I'm thinking of are like advertising, which you may or may not know. (laughs) Um, But uh, a lot of the times when you're looking at, man, I'm trying to think of a good viral campaign. That's an example that you'd know too. But, um, Old Spice ads, at least at the time, people in the U.S. are going to know these ones, but like they yeah. would, it's a deodorant, but they would basically mm-hmm. be taking them and they'd, they'd have like the the guy would be like floating through the ocean and then all of a sudden without cuts, he would be all of a sudden like riding, surfing on a wave. Uh, then without cuts, all of a sudden the water would disappear and a piano would appear. And if you went and watched like the making of these ads, they would do everything. Oh, I can give you a good one. All right, here's a good one. Here's a good one. Do you know what Dove skincare is? Yeah. So until about, I'm going to get the year wrong, I'm sure, but until about 2005, Hmm. all skin ads were the models, super skinny, super high cheekbones, blah, 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 blah. And Dove was one of the first ones to basically come in and go, what if we just show real women? 
that are the women that are actually yeah. the, the people that buy our product and they're not going to yeah. be perfect and they might have stretch marks yeah. and blah, 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 blah. And I remember like the case study there is like even the executives were like basically in tears the first time they saw that ad because they're just oh, like, wow. holy crap, we've gotten into this zig and finally we've witnessed a zag and that campaign itself did crazy, 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 you know, blew yeah. numbers away. Um, milk, milk, uh, got milk. Uh, a ton of their numbers totally were driven just by the fact that they shaped up, they reshaped the packaging on the bottle. They, mm. they skipped cartons and went to the actual plastic mm. milk bottles. Um, mm. That novelty can, draw, can cause just absolutely dramatic, dramatic spikes. Um, the novelty feels, feels like a thumbnail on a YouTube video to me. A lot of it's, you know, is, it feels like, you know, it's not the same thing, but like a thumbnail on a YouTube video, they say, is like, it's half the YouTube video that draws you there in the first place. I'm totally it's kind of like that, but probably to more, to more of an extent. You want it, and like, if, let me switch the word novelty with surprise. So yeah. one, what, what you might be seeing on those YouTube videos, if they're like, you know, half the time they're doing the mm. that face. Yeah. <laughs> if they're indicating to you that there's a surprise, very possibly, very yeah, possibly. But in most cases, what you're looking for is a surprise factor uh, that is relevant to the experience, but it is unexpected and in a good way. Like the opposite of this is if you're driving and you're in traffic and uh, road rage is essentially an emotionally charged negative experience. It's a surprise yeah. because you're like, hey, we all know the rules of the road and that mm -hmm. idiot just changed lanes without using his blinker or whatever. It's a surprise and that's where people are like literally will shoot people. The emotional charge... Yeah. From that surprise, yeah. it's so intense. Well, maybe they don't dare. They do in the U.S. Yeah. We have all yeah. of our gun laws the way we do. But yeah. that, that is the equivalent of the negative aspect of it. Road rage yeah. is an emotional response to a negative surprise. Um, and they do the same thing on the positive end. Of it. So yeah. if you can incorporate that into your product, to your pitch, like, you know, like as an example, too, like if I'm doing the, if I'm doing a 30-second elevator speech and people are going, like, tell me about yourself or whatever. I'm like, oh, yeah, so my name is Dan. I'm the CEO of a company called Wrench. We basically tell you who, what, where, why, how on your um, on your customer populations. Uh, and I wrestled an anaconda once and pulled it off a guy in South America. They, You're not mm -hmm. going to forget who I am. Yes. You'd be like, yeah, that's right. the anaconda guy. So the uh, it's it's throwing in that thing that is just, wait, haven't heard that before? Relevant because mm. they were asking the conversation. Stops people in their tracks. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, and they will remember it much more. Like if you go play those memory games, those people that will – memorize like yeah. thousands of cards in a deck um that's yeah. what they're doing they do it by the novelty things the imagination in their head i think i've watched a few videos on it yeah exactly okay yeah. so slight digression hmm. novelty behind your head move your head so that your podcasters i <laughs> that <laughs> is novel as hell what is the story on that i have to ask you your turn you know in all honesty, so I put it there. You're the first person to notice it. And I've done, like, I've already, at this date, I've put about, I think I've got about 30,000 views on all social platforms in my shorts. And no one has noticed. And I've recorded, like, six podcasts. So you're the first person. I really like it. What? In all honesty, this is, this is, my partner put this up. And so it's from a French artist. And I can't, I need to not understand the story. She'll, she'll kill me about the story. But it's for a French artist to actually, it's actually a balloon that was blown up. And I was like, I think wow. it was an art festival. And so she put it up there, which used to be right in our other house. It used to be right at the front door. So people would first walk into the house and then they would look at it and then start laughing. At first glance and I saw I am invincible. I'm like, oh, it's adorable. And then I looked twice and I went, wait a minute. <laughs> 
That, I think this is your example of novel. That's why I wanted to have that, a podcast. That, I'm never going to forget it. It's, yeah. it's stuck there. It's brilliant. Absolutely yeah, brilliant. That makes sense. I've really enjoyed this chat. I want to ask a couple of questions just around, I guess, sales leaders and leaders themselves. Like, let's say they've, they want to they want to jump on the AI bandwagon and the train. And let's say let's say they're going to work with you guys at Wrench. Like, what are the things that need to be thinking about now, just in relation to AI and their business? And let's take it to sales or a software organization, or some, maybe even someone selling a service. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes, when we set it up, I think some of the the best questions that I think the best questions that we can ask them that help us help them the most is really putting into writing. What are you sure that you know about your product? Yeah, like. Like when we go through your ideal customer profile and your positioning Mm. and when is the occasion that people actually buy you? What are you certain of? And even more important, what are you uncertain of? People, when they're doing those launch processes, when they're doing go to market, they oftentimes give their customers way too much credit. I've sat by so much of that kind of one-way glass and and watched those consumer behaviors. Consumers are fantastic at telling you what is broken about your product. They're usually pretty bad at telling you how to fix it. So oftentimes um, when when someone comes in through our door, I would oftentimes go, go do a brain dump. And I want you to write down everything that you really want to learn about your product. Mm -hmm. And when we come in, we can plug in all their audience, the behaviors and stuff, and we can oftentimes ask them. And they've gotten into some pretty cool kind of details because obviously there's who's interested in my product or what defines my customer. I do think you need to ask those and you need to ask them as early as possible in your sales process because they, they have so many downstream impacts and so many potential landmines that you can avoid by answering them properly. Yeah. That uh, they, they can save you a ton of time. And if you have those that you are uncertain of and especially the ones that are keeping you up at night, put them on a post-it note on your screen or whatever until you yeah. can answer them because oftentimes... If you skip them, hidden in the data. Yeah, yeah, and oftentimes if you skip them, it's kind of like negative compound interest. Like they can just full further increase them simultaneously as it relates to like sales. I think a ton of people think that they're somehow in danger and potentially going away. Are they going to replace my job or whatever? And I, mm. at least from my perspective, as it relates to AI, if I'm an intern right now, I'm nervous. If yeah. I'm in middle management, to some extent, I'm more nervous. But the reality is, is AI, and I think in a good way, will be coming for the jobs that are repetitive, that don't have additional problem solving associated with them, which for what it's worth, I think is a good thing. Because, mm. like, again, with the, the wrench... We'll get to do more fun things than just the repetitive things. Yeah, and, and to some extent, I think it's going to change almost everyone in the organization because half the time, like, say, you know, your, your frontline sales and or maybe you're, like, more director level or above, most of the time as you get higher up in the organization, your job is largely just having people assemble information for you to make an informed mm. decision upon, and then you make an informed decision. Like... Your job is not safe just because you're a manager in any way, shape, or form. I think the people that are going to do the best are the ones that understand that their job is to solve problems, and yeah. especially like challenging and novel problems. AI is not coming for that anytime soon. The really big yeah. companies, even if they have these tools, will not be able to act and implement them nearly as quickly as people think. So right now I go, yeah, yeah. if your job is a button pusher, yeah, you're probably in trouble. If you're in sales, your job is going to change. But it's most likely, I see it as we are automating out the drudgery. Like, so for instance, Wrench can, Wrench, we've measured it before, and Wrench can do the equivalent about an hour and 15 minutes worth of research on a per person basis to help make a recommendation for wow. a campaign. But I mean, if you think about all the time where you're going to LinkedIn and you're, you're trying yeah. to find that thing, you're like, maybe yeah. we went to the same school or we like the same sport or whatever, a lot of that stuff 
can be automated. And if we can kind of package it and put it in front of you of going like, hey, here are the main things you need to do in a consistent way. Your job as the salesperson now becomes, what can you make novel knowing this information? Your framework mm -hmm. is, hey, this is uh, someone that's got the personality of an extrovert. They prefer to see their, their campaigns in the form of like, they're looking for data, us versus them, mm -hmm. competitive analysis type of data. And you're going to be getting in touch via an email. How do you, knowing that information, make this special? That is going to separate the really good from the really bad uh, going forward. And those are the people, like robo-advisors and wealth managers. They already got hit by the AI wave some time ago yes. and they didn't they did. know. I remember that. Right? I remember hearing all the advertisements. I think it was on the Tim Ferriss show, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure they would have gone to him. Wealth managers didn't go away. Their, their role evolved to be even more relationship-focused. Um, and uh, I think the same thing is going to happen to those sales leaders. It will be, can you become more of a thought leader? Again, if you look at the people that are performing on LinkedIn right now, novel concepts, they're coming up with, hey, here's a way you haven't seen even how to use ChatGPT3. Yeah. Right? But the yeah. people are doing it are becoming, hey, I've got interesting and original thoughts, and you're following me because I'm actually helping yeah. you give that away. Your salespeople, I think, are going to see and experience the same kind of thing. It's like, what can you do that's different? It's not, yeah. what can you do that's the same? I think... Uh, yeah. All that AI is going to absolutely, they make it easy, like you've seen it when we generate scripts and stuff like that, they do it really quickly. They do it grammatically correct and everything like that too. Mm -hmm. um, but oftentimes they may or may not put you over the top. They'll definitely make sure you're not below average, which is mm -hmm. raising the average. Yeah, um, but they, uh, you still want to add some je ne sais quoi to uh, make it special. Exactly. That's the prize, as you mentioned. Make it unique and rememberable. And yeah. Like the picture behind us. Yeah. Right. Exactly. 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 Now that's cool. I had a, I had a really good chat to Ricky Pearl. He owns Pointer, which is an agency here in, in Australia, and we we're also talking about around how more the adoption of technology kind of needs to change between realistic the, the people most I guess qualified now to identify the products are really those who are being served at being on YouTube and TikTok and all that kind of stuff. So the age bracket of the researchers you should really have is kind of you know, let's say 18 to 25 or whatever that mark, because they're the ones who are going to have the finger on the pulse of all the tech. So yes. usually the people in procurement, like a lot of times they don't even know these things exist. Yeah. And so that's why I think I've been, you know, with our agency, we, I, you know, I show clients like even meeting recording software to them, but I've shown them Sybil, which what it does is it uses ChatGPT3 to prompt it to give you a meeting summary, next yeah. steps, pain points. It's beautiful. Like, and I've shown what? this to people and it's like, this is magic. It can <laughs> even tell you when people smile and nod. Yeah. during the during the conversation and giving this to i think giving this in the hands but people haven't even seen this before that's why i think when we chatted you need people to if that different generation per se or that interest they need to be the ones bringing stuff to the executives yeah. not the other around because i think a lot of companies are just they don't even know these things exist people, people i've chatted to people and they don't even know email sequencing softwares exist like oh. i had a friend here in australia and he, he's like from gartner and they're talking to a really large company in australia which probably has hundreds of salespeople. They didn't even know what a cadence was. <laughs> insane. It's like insane. That's, um, it's, uh, that is one of those two where you just go like, it's going to change everything. I mean, same thing. I'm just like, man, yeah. it takes longer to adopt than people think. And even with they do, like there's, I'll see if I can I'm gonna try to remember the study. I'm going to misquote this, this study, but the, uh, I believe it was a 40% increase in net promoter scores. When a call center basically paired people mm -hmm. with people mm -hmm. that, same age, same personality. They thought just like yeah. themselves. 40% increase, even with the same outcome. So if like you were calling in yeah. and looking for a credit to your cell phone bill and we gave yeah. you and we gave someone else both 20% back, the fact yeah. that you were paired with someone that looked and acted like you, that you just kind of yeah. understood intuitively, 40% yeah. increase in a net promoter score on that where there's uh, still one of those where I, 
man, there, there's still some of that, like, we've done some uh, work with salespeople that uh, uh, work in, you know, sometimes it's everything, including consumer products, but um, I'm out of I'm out of Utah, and there's a ton of network marketing that's based out of here. People have, yeah. it's Mormons, they have a ton I of, dipped into that for a while, got on stage, maybe my brother got an award, it wasn't a fun time now that I look back. It was fun. <laughs> <laughs> some of those that are the most sophisticated salespeople out there, like, yeah. couldn't write an email. They're so good yeah. now. So, they are hustlers, like, they, they, it, they get you in your home, like, and you are... You sign up right then and there. Indeed. Um, so there, there, I still believe the uh, the hardest thing for all that AI to uh, replicate and replace will be the long-term relationship. So I think we can shorten yeah. the time that we get to an established mm -hmm. and a, a good relationship. I don't think that relationship's going away anytime soon. So yeah, I definitely that's agree right with that. Cool. Yeah. Uh, look, thanks so much. Uh, there's one last question I like to ask as well, um, sure. just to everyone. So if you could kind of let's say not go back in time, but if you had your knowledge that you have now, and let's say you're a sales leader in an organization, you know, say selling software, or you can pick, even pick what it is. What are the steps that you would go through now if you knew what you knew and you're in that position? Like, and you could go through, like, let's say if they could go back in time or whatever. So I definitely think that coming to terms with like the segment and the user population that you have cannot yeah. be done soon enough. Like I've seen it so many times over and over and over. Like, I mean, largely we get paid to, kind of surprise people on how they define their customers. Yeah. And the amount of value that is locked up in that process is crazy huge. And the reality is that I think 99% of the people that are doing it, even to this day, even with all these fun tools that we have access to, are still guessing. Yeah. Like almost anytime we go, hey, we're gonna do an A-B sequence. Have you ever heard anyone that went, okay, well, we actually have data and it should be this and that. No, they all just go, what's the first easiest thing I can think of? And what's the second easiest thing yeah. I can think of? It's always those two. At least in my opinion, like, you know, people, there's, there's an, the adage of like data is the new oil. And until 2016, 2017, I was very much kind of a data head. Like we, yeah. would, we would absolutely be going deep into surveys. We'd be big into statistics. Um, and... Uh, the people that focus on data, data is that new oil, they get ahead faster. And especially now, especially now, you get further ahead and the other people are not going to catch up. It is like the front end of the curve right now is going to be ahead for the rest of their lives. There is no catch up game. So the sooner that I think people take it seriously and the sooner I think they get that in order, um, the, the better off they are going to do, period. And some of like, again, like with with some of the advances in computing that we're seeing, there may not be an option to catch up in, in some, you know, I don't, I don't want to put an exact date on it. Yeah, faster than people think. Um, so just based on the amount of data, like almost every client that we get into, we always find something. Oh, are you still there? Yo, I think it's, it's recording now. That was cool. No worries. Um, let's see. Let's finish. Oh, just finishing the thought. That, but the the people that are already ahead, they're already looking to that data. And the ones that don't necessarily have access to that data, I don't think people realize nearly enough that the most successful salespeople ask the most questions. Hmm. Um, and you don't have to literally ask them on the call. We don't have to be naive about that. But again, there is a huge correlation between that research and in many cases, the, the a week in the library is worth a month in the field, right? Yeah. Um, people that ask the most questions and that do the best research usually have the most success. And uh, in most cases, uh, in every gig or whatever I had, the, the data wins long term. 
that always wins yeah. long term. So yeah, cool. Yeah. Thank, yeah, that's super insightful. I've, I really enjoyed this conversation, and sure. I steered away from the usual questions because I just thought it was so interesting, and I thought you know the listeners are going to find this extremely interesting, and I think definitely I'd love to have you back on in a period of time as well, just because oh, I feel like this. So you have a wealth of information, like which is I haven't heard before. Cool. Um, thanks so much for coming on. Um, Dan, wh- where can people find you if they want to reach out or they want to get to know about a bit more about Wrench? Sure. Uh, most of the time, uh, I am on, again, you can email me at, at dan at wrenchai. The website is wrenchai. And uh, if you want to chat with me on social, I'm largely on LinkedIn. I don't do as much on the other ones. That's the one that I, I prefer. But hit me up on LinkedIn. I think I'm uh, LinkedIn user. Uh, I think it's Dan Baird. I think I am Dan Baird on that thing. So, yeah. Yep. D-A-N-B-A-I-R-D. Uh, but hit me up uh, one of those two and I will hit you back. All right. Thank you, Matt. Appreciate the time. Have a great evening. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed that episode of the AI Sales Revolution podcast with Dan Baird, the founder and CEO of Wrench.ai. I bet De- Wrench is definitely changing the game on big data analysis and especially that that story about the cookies just <laughs> blew me away. I couldn't believe it. And I just only imagine, honestly, big data and AI, I think is just going to completely change the game for, for especially larger companies with bigger data sets in the coming years, which I'm super excited to see. And I'm super pumped as we're working with Dan on some projects as well, which is super fun. I'm really enjoying it. He's also just a great guy and really fun to be around, which is awesome. Look, just another couple of things. Um, look, we are actively looking for other guests on the podcast. So if you can think of anyone, feel free to just DM in directly on LinkedIn or provide introductions. That would be awesome and greatly appreciated.